Good morning. When I was living over in Russia, Siberia, uh, day before Christmas, I got bit by a dog. I got home, I pulled up my shirt, and said the skin had been broken. We couldn't trace the dog. So they suggested, American Medical Clinic in Moscow suggested some kind of vaccine just in case. But there was no medicine in Novosibirsk where we were, so I had to get a flight fly into uh, Moscow. And I said, you need to do this in 72 hours, get that first shot in. So we did, Christmas Day. Um, and the guy said, you know, it's a pet. I don't think people keep a rabbit pet, so I think you're pretty low risk of getting rabies here. So it was a five-shot vaccine over the course of a month. They put in my arm, and it all worked out. But, you know, it got me thinking, what does a vaccine do? What did that vaccine do? Well, it introduced a little bit of the disease so my body could, could build antibodies, could, could fight in case I got indeed was infected with rabies. I I was empowered in a sense. And I was able to fight something off that I might not have been able to fight off. That's a little bit of the picture of the grace of God. It's it's in us and it empowers us to do something we we might not otherwise do. And I want to develop that idea today. What specifically does the grace of God mean for us? So if if you turn to uh, Genesis 18... We're going to go through the chapter, one, verses 1 through 33, and, and wrestle with that question, what does God's grace do for us? What does God's grace do for us? Now, a quick anecdote to that story where I got bit. I, I came in, it was Christmas Day, and we're going to spend about a week in Moscow, and then we're going to go to Switzerland to get out of the country, and, and that's where I proposed to hope. I, I went to Switzerland to, to propose marriage to her. That's pretty, pretty romantic on my part. But I thought, you know, if I, get, if I get rabies and I'm frothing at the mouth when I propose, that's just going to take away from the moment. So I just thought... Just be good to get those shots and not be frothing at the mouth. But after we move to that anecdote, let me remind us what's been going on in Genesis. We looked at the first 11 chapters where humanity just tried to get rid of God. Created to be in a relationship with God. Humanity goes, no, no way. And in Genesis 12, God starts, I'm going to reintroduce myself and I'm going to work through a people. And the person that's going to be the father of the nation is a guy named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. They're going to have a child. They're going to have to leave their country. They're going to have to go someplace they don't know. And they've done that, and they've been waiting for 23 years. Cody talked us through that last week. 23 years. No child. And in fact, last week we saw God showed up and said, Abraham, this is really going to happen. And Abraham laughed, laughed at the idea. And God is doing something in the waiting to his people to make them ready to be used by him. You ever had to wait on God? Have you ever had to wait on God? What's that experience like? It's a painful experience. Well, Abraham and Sarah are right there, and God is going to show up again, though he is not necessarily going to be recognized by, by Abraham. So we start in verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the tent of the door. While he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. Now we're going to find out it's the Lord and two angels. He ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. Most scholars think he doesn't recognize God. God is veiled. But he recognizes them as as distinguished men, and and he he bows before them. He says, verse 3, my Lord. Now, that's not necessarily a a recognition of of God. That's That's a recognition of respect. My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may go on since you've been visited your servant. They said, so do as you have said. 
hospitable, but, but then it turns to, to uber hospitality, starting in verses 6 through 8. So, it says, so, so Abraham hurried into the tent of Sarah and said, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and gave it to the servant and hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. So, so Abraham is hospitable. He, he kind of lays out the red carpet for these people. Spares no expense. Verse 9, then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? How, how, how'd they know her name? And told him. Well, if you're God, you, you know. <laughs> That's Sarah. Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, there in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind them. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. They're really old. And they've been waiting a long time. They've had this promise. And God has said, wait, wait, wait. And at one point, they, they took things in their own hand. They thought they're never going to happen. And Sarah said to Abraham, why don't you go with my servant? You can have a child through her. And so he went with Hagar, and, and they have a son, Ishmael. Ishmael's been living with them 13 years. God said, wait, you have a child. No child. No child. And this guy shows up, hey, this time next year. This is God speaking. This time next year, you're going to have a child. So what does Sarah do that with that? Verse 12. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, Have I become old? Shall I have pleasure? My Lord, being old also? I'm a child. What a joke. I'm old. My husband's old. Come on. Come on. You can't take this God stuff too far. He laughs at the idea. But fortunately, she laughs to herself. So she's thinking, you know, I, I can pull this off. I can get away with it. The only trouble is it's in the presence of the Lord that she laughs. And verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I indeed bear a child when I'm so old? Here's the question. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. This is going to happen. We'll, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But they've been waiting a long time, long time. Wondering, is there, is there anything that makes you laugh? When God says, I'll be faithful in, in, your, in your circumstances, whatever they are? You got, a, you got a health issue? You got a school issue? Man, it just goes on and on. And God said, you got, you got a financial issue? I mean, every time you get to the end of the month, you got a relational issue? I mean, you have been through every kind of 
mediation and conflict resolution, and it still ain't working. God says, I'm there, and, and God says, I'll be faithful in that, and you Sarah made the faith hall of fame. We won't turn there, but Hebrews 11 talks about great people of faith. And in chapter 11, verse 11, it says this about Sarah. See, she said she considered him faithful, him being God, she considered him faithful who had promised. Does this sound like somebody who's trusting God? Not to me. So, so why, does, why is that written about Sarah? Well, apparently she grew in her faith. She grew in her capacity to trust God. So if you're one of those people like me who has time, you just think, I mean, I got something, I mean, right now, it's, God, will this ever work out? On my heart. God, I wish I could tell you, I'm just blowing through this trust in God. I, I, we're in process. Verse 15, Sarah's been caught. You, you laughed. Verse 15, Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. You did doubt me. But you know what? They have the child. And Sarah ends up in the Faith Hall of Fame. And they end up being the father and mother of a great nation. So we started talking about the grace of God. What does the grace of God mean for you and for me? Here's what it means. The grace of God means God works through doubtful people. God works through doubtful, fearful people. And I think it's important because we read now, Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, we're not all there that we believe in. Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it's impossible to believe God. Please, God, where does that leave you and me, those verses? Man, I don't know about you, but falling way short. But the good news is God works through doubtful people, through in-process people. And if you're one of them in-process people, join the club. And know there's a gracious God who's patient. And works through us. Now, verse 16 through 19, we, we turn a little bit and we see another part of God's character. He's gracious, he's merciful, but there's other things that are true about him. And we begin to see that unfold, starting in verse 16. It says, Then the men rose up from there and looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. So two of them are going to leave. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Well, what is it about you do, what you're about to do? Well, we're going to find out in just a second. He's about to bring judgment. It says, Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him and keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And then we see. The Lord said, I'm in verse 20, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to its outcry, 
which has come to me, and if not, I will know. God is gracious, and God is merciful, okay? But God is also righteous, and God is also holy, and at some point, He will say, enough, I'm going to judge sin. This is what's going on here, and and we'll flesh that out. Why is that? But when men and women choose to live apart from God, at some point, the actions, the injustice, the violence, the corruption become so intolerable, God's holiness says, enough, I've got to act. I cannot wait any longer. And that's what he's saying is going to happen in Sodom and Gomorrah. Then the men, and these are the two angels, turned away from there and went towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And I don't know if Abraham realizes now that he's in the presence of God, but he begins to, to ask. Verse 23, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose, suppose there are 50 within the city. Will you indeed sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous? God, will you withhold judgment? For 50 people, will you do it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? The Lord said, if I find Sodom 50 righteous people within the city, then I will spare the whole place on their account. And we get into question here. Basically, Abraham's praying. He's asking God, would you be merciful and save, spare this city for 50 people? Well, God just said he was going to bring judgment. What is it? How does this work, our prayer and God's will? And my theological answer is, I'm not sure. I don't know. There are some things where the will of God is set, and there's no changing it. But there are other times that God will change his mind according to the prayer of people. He has set it up that way. Well, which ones are which, Andy? I don't know. But I just know we are called to pray for people around us, for our city, for our nation. And boy, if there's ever a nation, a people that needs prayer, it's us. I think it's a legitimate thing. God, would you spare us? Not because we deserve it, because you're merciful. Okay? So, God has agreed to Abraham for 50 people. I'll do it. But Abraham starts thinking about that. He says, yeah, I'm not sure we got 50 folks in there. So I'm going I'm I'm to push a little bit. Now, Abraham, I'm in verse 27, replied, Now, behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord about, I, I, although I am but dust and ashes. Suppose the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45. And he said to them yet again, Suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of 40. He said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. I realize I'm pushing here, and I I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30. Now, now behold, in verse 20, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He said, I will not do it on account of the 20. They said, oh, may God, Lord, not be angry. I shall speak only this once. Suppose 10 are found. He said, I will not destroy it on account of 10. As soon as he has finished speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to this place. Some people read that and say, you know, Abraham's testing God. I don't, I don't think so. I think Abraham is plumbing the depth of the grace and mercy of God. It is wicked there. Man, for 50, would you? Yeah, for 50, okay. 45, 40, I mean, how 
God, how, how, how far will you go? And, and God waits. He's gracious. It's not like he's longing to bring the hammer up there. Give me a reason and I'll hold back. But at some point, we'll see next week, he will judge sin. But because he is gracious, he delays judgment. And so we're asking, what does the grace of God mean for us? For one thing, it means God works through doubtful people. Another thing, and God delays judgment. That's good news for me and for you. And, And it's good news for people who around us who don't know the Lord. Continue to pray for them. Ask God to be gracious. But at some point, he will judge sin. And and we have a problem with that. Oh, we don't want to talk about the judgment of God. But we might want to talk a little bit more. If if we lived in a country like North Korea, where there was Kim Jong-un, and and he did whatever he wanted, and he had no accountability to any people. And if we were living in North Korea, we would want to know there's some kind of judgment for this sin. Or we look at the stuff, the genocide that has gone on just in my lifetime. Will the perpetrators ever be held accountable? Yeah, they will, if not in this life, before God. And sometimes you guys have been wronged by people, and you just think they, they got away with that. No, 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 they, they, they won't. And neither will I, or neither will you. We will face ultimate justice before God. I, what does that look like? I don't know, but, but God is just. And I would suggest... That if we lived in a different place, in a different part of the world, we would embrace that more. But God will judge every person rightly. What is it? What is it that demands His judgment? Well, I think we see it play out in chapter 19. And I'm going to talk all of that chapter through next week, but I just want to see a little snippet. Remember, there are two angels that have gone down to Sodom, and they are met by Abraham's nephew, Lot, and he takes them in verses 1 to 3. He is hospitable like his uncle. He takes them into his house. But the people in the city realize this is what is going on. And so I'm in chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. Before they lay down, these are the house guests. These are really the two angels that have gone down. and They're in the house of Lot. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. That's what sin does. Sin makes us self-centered. Hey, I saw those two guys come in and I want to have relations with them. Well, do they want that? Doesn't matter. When we get separated from God, All that matters is us, and we will force our way, and we will do whatever because we are the center of the world, and everybody exists for us. Self-centeredness. And that's why God brings judgment. Self-centeredness becomes rampant. Violence becomes acceptable. Corruption, I'll take from you. I'll steal from you because I am the king, and I get what I want, and I don't have any accountability. And God says, yeah, you do. Now, you say, ah. that kind of thing. Well, let me tell you about my experience not too long ago in the convenience store. I was in a hurry. That's why I'm in the convenience store. And the person checking me out, they were struggling on the machine. They couldn't get it right. 
Now, I'm a pastor, so I don't say anything because I'm a pastor. But you can read it all over my face. I'm not happy. You're slowing me down. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They say, oh, that's okay, but that's not what my face says. I know nothing about that person. Maybe it's their first day, but I don't care. Because why? Because who's it about? It's about me. You say, Andrew, are you that busy? No, not really. I'm really not. Then what's the deal? Because I come in here and I expect to you move it along. Come on. And it's some kid. It's probably their first day and they got this old bat coming up. This face, this look, and it's making them stressed out. Do I care anything about the person working the machine? Apparently not. But maybe tomorrow when you go in, and your coworker's a little grumpy, and you say, what's the deal? How come they You don't know. You know, maybe they need to get some copies out, and they're copier filled, and they want to get them out, and they're frustrated, and not about you, but, but you think it's about you. Why? Because we, apart from God, we are self-centered. And when we get right with God, He begins to change our heart. And we realize we're in right relationship with Him. We're re- recipients of His grace. And we don't, we're recipients of her, His mercy. And then we realize every other person was created in God's image. And maybe, just, just maybe we'll think about their story before we get mad that they're not checking us out as fast as we want to get checked out. That's where God wants to redeem us. That we'll get off of self, get onto Him, and get onto other people. And in His grace, He does that. He empowers us. And in His mercy, He doesn't bring judgment when we deserve it. Because, I, man, I deserved a long time ago. Before I came to Christ, I deserved judgment long before. And even in the midst of my walk, I've said and done things with good night. God is gracious and merciful. And he withholds judgment. And, and, and ultimately, his withholding judgment is tied up in his son, Jesus. John 3, 17 18 says this, For God not, did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There it is. We're, we're under judgment. But Jesus, God sent Jesus that we might turn to him. Now, the message I have is don't wait. Because Adam... Or Abraham talked God down 50, 40, 30, 10. But, but we're going to see. At, at some point, God says, enough. I, 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 my judgment's coming. Don't toy with that. Don't, don't presume on the grace and mercy of God. If you've never trusted Christ, I want to invite you to do that right now. He'll forgive your sin. He'll restore your heart. Just simply believe in Him that we might know that grace that is abundant to us. The grace of God means that so much is available to us that wouldn't otherwise be. When the boys were little, my kids are now 20 and 17, Hope would sub, that was Fridays was my day off, and I would be a substitute teacher, and um, so I'd plan out the day, and they're three and six or four and seven, and I had this list of activities, and I thought, this one will get me 30, and then this one will get me 45 minutes, and this one will get me 20, and, and you know, like I had it made to lunch, and then we could go out to lunch and maybe do some other things. Well, I do my activities, and it's like my activities are done, and it's 9.15 in the morning. <laughs> I am beyond myself. I've got to do something. But you know what? Every year when the kids were little, in order to save my sanity, we bought a year-round pass to the Children's Museum. Hey, kids, you want to go to the Children's Museum? Yep. 
load up. And you know what? As soon as we step in there, there is more stuff than they can do for the rest of the day. Okay, that's a picture of the grace of God. By myself, I can't get it to 9.15, folks. I can't make it to 9.15. And we've got a long day. Long day. We step into the children's museum. There's, I mean, we, we leave before they've done half the stuff. They got so much. When it comes to knowing God, when it comes to relating with people, when it comes to understanding, that's the way it is with grace with God. It, we, he has so much, and we are so limited that we would turn to that grace. And we're going to celebrate communion this morning to, to remember this God. So if you're a person that is helping serve at a table, if you would come up and find a table, that would be great. Now, what we're doing and what we're not doing is uh, we're not believing this becomes the little, literal body and blood of Jesus. This is a memory. And, and the broken bread is signifies of uh, Jesus' body broken for us, and the, the cup of juice reminds us that His blood was shed. It, it's, it's, a, it's a solemn time. It's a time of gratitude. And He was put on a cross that we could be here this morning talking about the grace of God. Now, if you're a, a follower of Jesus, we invite you to partake. You do not have to be a member of North Point. We just let you, ask that you be a believer in Christ. I mean, that's just, if you're not sure where you stand, I just no need to be embarrassed. Just invite you to watch as we do this. In a moment, I'll pray. And after we pray, if you guys would come to these tables here, outside, if you go to the far ones, in, in those little trays, there's gluten-free stuff if, you, if, you, if you'd like that or need that. So let me do, ask you, how are you doing on tapping into the grace of God? I pray we'd be people who are rich, people that realize we've come to the end of ourselves, like Andy at 9.15 on Friday morning, and we need something so much more, that we draw on the grace of God. Let me pray, and we'll celebrate communion together. So, Lord, we are thankful for your grace and your goodness to us. Uh, Lord, I ask that we wouldn't presume upon that, but we would be people that would major in that, that we would step into it, that we'd know the fullness of you. Or begin to understand that in a way we don't. Um, touch us now as we remember you, your body broken and your blood shed. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.